The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning. Good morning. Man, it's so great uh, to see everybody after last week, uh, you know, after canceling our services and, uh, you know, because of the hurricane, evacuation, all of that ended up being a pretty beautiful day here in the low country, uh, but uh, we got a lot to be thankful for, and we definitely still need to be praying for our folks uh, in the northeast uh, side of uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Wilmington, and all the surrounding areas. We need to make sure uh, we're still praying for those guys. But Ryan is right. Oh my goodness, we're so glad to be here today. Three services this morning, and um, I'm impressed that you guys showed up uh, for the 8:30 service. Uh, so that's pretty cool, and you got some energy. So that's great. And um, but today is great. We got man. Our life groups are finally kicking off this week. We had to postpone those a little bit as well. And uh, so life groups, and then this opportunity today uh, to serve and to give back to our community, which all goes along with uh, this new sermon series that we're starting today, uh, called "Losing My Religion." Losing my religion. You know, so many people really have lost faith in organized religion. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. The truth is they equate organized religion with things like uh, kooky televangelist, uh, sexual abuse, homophobia, uh, extreme political views. And a lot of people today, quite honestly, see Christians as uh, phony, self-righteous, fake, you know, uh, just going to church uh, to be seen and, and to see all talk and no what? No action. Well, guys, I want us to change that perception. You know, I want our church, I want Coastal to be known for what we're for and not what we're against. I, I want our impact to be so powerful right here in our own community that if something were to happen to us, that if we, if we weren't here, that it would leave a huge void for somebody else to fill. You know, I, I don't want our church to be known for its facilities or its services that people attend. I want us to be known for how we love people, all people. You know, what do we say around here all the time? We don't just go to church. We what, Coastal? We are the church. And I believe that this, this is the body of Jesus, the church. And we are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus here in this community and in our world. And that's what this church is all about. That's what we've always been about, and that's what this series that we're getting ready to go into, that we're beginning today, is all about. It's about losing religion, okay? Losing our religion and finding a personal relationship with God as together we put our faith into action. Now, to guide our discussion, this journey that we're going to be on together, we're going to be going through one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. It's the book of James. But I want to challenge you as we're in this series to, to be reading through the book of James on your own. In fact, today on the back of your Connect card, that's one of the next steps that you might take. Yes, I'm going to make a commitment to read through the book of James during this series. Now, the book of James is all about doing. It, it, it really is about putting our faith into action. Get this. It actually contains 59 commands in only 108 verses. And it really reads more like a sermon than it does a letter. One of the fascinating aspects of the book of James is that the name Jesus is only mentioned twice in the entire letter, but what you're going to quickly see is that Jesus is all over every page, every verse. The author 
of the book of James is, of course, James, but you might not have known that it is the, the younger half-brother of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we learn that it was James who was one of the very first people that Jesus appeared to following his resurrection. In the book of Acts, we learn that uh, James was a key leader in the Jerusalem church. Many people basically called him the lead pastor, you know, uh, of the church in Jerusalem. In fact, he stayed in Jerusalem even when the persecution got really, really bad. And, and, and it scattered most of, most of all the other Christians to places all around the world. He stayed behind. In fact, he was martyred for his faith in 62 AD when the Pharisees attacked him dragged him to the top of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, and threw him off. Somehow he survived the nearly 100-foot fall. He stumbled to his knees, and he began to pray for his murderers. And that's when they stoned him to death. So let me tell you something. James is the real deal. He is. Brother to Jesus, leader in the early church, and martyred for his faith. In other words, if there was ever anybody in the Bible who knew something about putting their faith into action, it was this guy, James. In fact, in James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, it kind of stands out as a theme passage for this, uh, for this letter. And it's definitely something that we're going to be coming back to as we work our way through this series. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Follow along as I read. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing and you say, well, goodbye and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do you? So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It's dead and useless. Wow. You know, what's he saying? He's saying very bluntly that it's not enough just to say that you believe. If, if your belief doesn't then move you into action, if your belief, your faith, doesn't move you into loving your neighbor, serving your community. You know, it's that old saying, I know you've heard before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that really is the idea behind what we're doing today to kick off this series. We actually wanted to give you a very practical, very real and tangible way that together we could show that we do care, that we really do want to put our faith into action. In fact, outside, Ryan referenced this, I'm sure you saw it on your way in today, we got five tents outside, five. They each represent organizations or groups here in our community or in our church that give us a practical way to put our faith into action. Uh, Habitat for Humanity Restore is going to be bringing a truck. They'll probably pull that truck up during this service, and you have an opportunity. We've been promoting this for the last month. You know, bring household items, bring used furniture, and uh, they're going to take that and then sell it in their, in their store and then serve the community. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, near and dear to the heart of our church. They have a tent outside. And uh, last year, we sent over 500 shoeboxes to children around the world. And so today, we're asking you to bring uh, toys, supplies, gifts that we can fill those shoe boxes with. 
And there'll be a representative from each one of these organizations outside to answer any questions that you might have. Another uh, organization or group is actually our own food bank. You might not be aware of how many, how many people we feed throughout the week, throughout the year, but we feed an awful lot of people. Uh, here in our community, here in our church, we get calls from other groups, other organizations, sending people here uh, for food. And then we actually take the food once a month uh, to our Saturday Serve tailgating uh, event where we feed the hungry and the hurting in North Charleston. American Red Cross is here today. I met Charlie today uh, from there. And uh, they're going to be signing you up to give blood. And he told me, man, he said, Pastor Chris, there's a huge need right now. And I said, well, great, you came to the right place because people are going to sign up to do that. And then finally, uh, there's a tent out there representing uh, Oakland Elementary School. And uh, Oakland is near and dear to the heart of Coastal. When we first moved to this location, we said that when we finally had a place of our own, wherever God put us, we were going to make sure that we're going to be good neighbors in our community, and we're going to love and serve the people that live there. And you'd have to be blind not to look across the street and see a little elementary school uh, named Oakland. And so we're signing people up today to volunteer to serve. Right now, we already have over, uh, I think it's over 40 to 50 plus uh, volunteers from our church that are serving at Oakland. And I believe that uh, we're going to keep up in our game, so to speak. And so these are all practical, tangible ways to put your faith into action. And if you came today, maybe not prepared to serve or or to bring any of those things, many of those things you can keep bringing throughout the year. Um, The food bank, for example. Operation Christmas Child, we'll have an opportunity to do that uh, really for the next month and a half. And you can continue to sign up um, to serve at Oakland. But I want to be really clear, though. You can't work your way into heaven. Okay, all those things are great, and that's the heart of our church is to serve our community, but you are not saved by your good works. In other words, you can't be good enough. You can't earn your way into heaven. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith, but if you are truly saved, what James is saying is that your faith will produce good works. You see, faith is the root, okay, but your action, your good deeds, your service, that's the fruit. And that's what this, this book is all about. That's what this letter is all about from James. It is about the fruit of our salvation. So here's what I want us to do today. I really just want to give you kind of a quick overview of the book of James by looking at five characteristics, five marks of people who truly have lost their religion and have found a personal relationship with God and are putting their faith into action. And so to give you an overview, we're going to look at one fruit, one mark or characteristics from each one of the five chapters of James. And so this is just really a small glimpse of what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead. And so what I hope will happen is that this today will encourage you not only to put your faith in action, but to join us in this journey as we really do strive to be a church that is making an impact where we live, work, and play here in our community and in our world. In fact, another next step on the back of your Connect card today says, I'm going to make this series a priority. I'm going to do my best to be here as we talk about putting our faith into action. So if you're taking notes, uh, mark number one, fruit number one from chapter one, people who are putting their faith into action, they endure under pressure. That's one of the themes of chapter one. They endure under pressure. Anybody here today feeling pressure? I mean, you're going through a storm, right? You're going through a trial. 
We talked about storms last week in the, in the message that we, uh, we sent out on video. Um, chapter one, verses two through four, listen to this. Dear brothers and sisters, if trouble comes your way, okay, it doesn't say that, does it? Those of you who are from Coastal, you know I like to do that a lot just to make sure you're paying attention or listening. It doesn't say, if trouble comes your way. What does he say? Whenever, okay, it's a fact of life, you know that. Whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. So when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. So characteristic number one, mark number one is, how do you handle troubles? How do you handle the troubles and trials of life? Now again, we're gonna dive more into this next week, but right now, let me just ask, you know, how do you react when the going gets tough? How do you respond to the storms of life? I mean, do they blow you away? Do you get uptight? negative, exasperated? Do you grumble and complain? Are you a fill in the blank to be around? (laughs) Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And again, here in James, he adds, let it be an opportunity for what? For joy. Wow. So again, you know, what's your attitude? You know, when when things don't go right. I mean, it's easy to be positive and, you know, to have a great attitude when things are, you know, going well. But what about when your back's against the wall? You know, are you negative or positive? Is your life filled with gratitude or do you grumble? In fact, drop down to verse 12. It says, God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying that patient perseverance is a mark of true saving faith. You know, what happens when, you know, what happens to a person during the trials of life is actually an evidence of whether or not you're truly saved. You know, put somebody through a test, through a trial, and if they're truly a believer, he says, you'll persevere. You'll come out stronger. And so the reverse is also true. If you waver and wander and ultimately walk away from the faith, he's saying it might be that you never truly had faith in the first place. Mark number two from chapter two. If you've lost your religion and you found a personal relationship with God and you're putting your faith into action, man, you love people, all people. In other words, as a Christian, as a believer, listen to me, you never, ever, ever look into the eyes of another human being who doesn't matter to God just as much as you do. You know, every single human being is created in the image of God and, and has intrinsic value because of that truth and that truth alone. And so what he's saying is, hey, you really want to put your faith into action? Then you know, you, you want to show the, the watching world that your faith is real and not phony or fake, then what James says in chapter 2 is, then you better love people. You better love all people. In fact, the first verse in James chapter 2 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim 
that you have faith in our, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people more than others. And then, in fact, he goes on to give a little example, illustration. We'll come back to this uh, in a couple of weeks of treating some people differently based on how much money they have. Now, that's not a problem today with anybody, right? Never. Listen, as, as believers in Jesus, what he is saying is there should be no favoritism, no barriers of race, education, social standing, wealth, gender, religion, power. He says the gospel, the gospel of Jesus breaks down the walls of prejudice. People are people, period. Created in the image of God. You know, I used to have a saying that I would, I would share, you know, uh, on Sunday mornings periodically, I'd, I'd, especially when this topic would come up. I would say something like, you know, the church, we, we should be a beautiful reflection of the community in which we live. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I was pretty pretty proud of myself. You know, I'm not sure if I made that up or not. I'm not sure where I got where I got it, but I liked it. The church should be a beautiful reflection of the community in which we live. Now, but you know what? You know what God convicted me of? Let me tell you something. That standard is not high enough. It's not close enough to the heart of God. It's not. No. The church should be a beautiful reflection of heaven, period. The church should be a beautiful reflection of heaven. If you can't get along with and genuinely love people of another race, black people, white people, Asian, Hispanic, if you can't learn, sincerely learn to treat all people the same, rich people, poor people, educated, uneducated, people who think differently than you about certain topics, people who vote differently than you, let me tell you something. You are not going to enjoy heaven very much. But that's okay, because you're not going to be there. That's what James is saying. And we're going to talk about that. Jesus said it this way. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another. In other words, the distinguishing mark of a believer, guys, listen to me. It's not a cross. The, the, the sign of a Christian is not a crucifix that you put up somewhere, you know, in a house. The, the, the sign of a believer, it's not a dove, it's not a little, you know, Christian fish symbol on the back of your car. The distinguishing mark of a believer, it is love. It is love. It's how you treat your fellow man. That's what James says. And if you're putting your faith into action, if the fruit of your, of your faith is real, then that will be a characteristic of it. That will be a mark of it. Mark number three, from chapter three. You better learn how to control your tongue. Learn to control your tongue. That, that's one of the distinguishing marks of people who have put their faith into, into action. James 3, 2, from chapter 3. Uh, we, we all make many mistakes. Can you relate to that? None of us are perfect, right? We all make mistakes. But those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. Now, according to James, if you want to measure whether or not your faith is real, whether or not you're putting your faith into action, you start with your tongue. 
You start with your mouth. You know, it's interesting. One of the first things that, um, you know, your doctor says when you go in for a checkup is stick out your what? Stick out your tongue. Turn to your neighbor. Go ahead and stick out your tongue. Go ahead and do that. Go, ah, go ahead and do that, right? Ah, that's basically, basically here, this is God saying, say, ah, stick your tongue out and let me check your faith. Genuine faith produces self-control, he says, and that self-control is revealed in the words that come out of your mouth. You know, the Bible says that the words that you speak have the power of life and death. Man, you think about that. Parents, think about that. Husbands, wives, the words you speak have the power of life and death. What you say to people, man, you you have the ability to crush somebody's spirit or to lift them up. Man, to set their life on a new course, a new direction. You ever heard somebody say, Well, you know, I just say what's ever on my mind. As if, you know, uh, they're proud of the fact that they just let it fly, right? Whatever's on their mind, they just say it. And then if you confront them about it, they'll push back and say, well, I'm just being frank. You know, I'm I'm just, I just say what I think. Hey, time out. Time out. Did you ever consider that the words that are on your mind shouldn't always be said? You know, according to the Bible, that's not frankness, that's childishness. That's immaturity. Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, what comes out of your mouth should be about other people, not yourself, not just what you're thinking. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What does that mean? Well, in, in the first century, in the Greek language, that word unwholesome there, it was a word that was used to describe rotten fruit. Rotten fruit that needs to be thrown away. In other words, it means putrid, decayed. And he's referring to any type of talk that belittles people, tears people down. Listen to me. Whether that's face-to-face, behind someone's back, which, you know, if you were raised in the Deep South, we know better to talk to your face. We do it behind your back. You know, we have, we have manners, right? You know? No, face-to-face, behind someone's back, or listen to this, what we see so often today on social media. What are people doing today? They're hiding behind their phones. They're hiding behind their screens, behind their laptop. And they think, well, I can just say whatever I want to say, whatever's on my mind, because it's my right. And James is saying here, no, 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 no. You know, what that's showing is that you are rotten to the core, and those words should be, should be thrown out. You are spreading death and decay. Go back to... The verse there in James 3, what should come out of our mouths? He says, only that which is helpful for building others up up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So what about you? Are you an encourager? You know, are you regularly building up your your spouse, building up your children, building up people around you with, with your words? Man, you ought to read that verse right there, you know, before you ever send a text or post anything on social media. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter how long you claim to be a believer. If you can't control your mouth, if you're not learning to control your mouth, you've you've missed the point. 
James 1.26, in fact, says this. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are just fooling yourself, and your religion is what? Say it with me. What does he say? Is It's worthless. It's worthless. In other words, listen, if you've memorized thousands of Bible verses... You know, and you're, you're, you're at church every time the doors are open. You've never missed a service. But you're still a gossip. You cut people down with, with your words. He is saying, listen, none of that matters. Now your religion is worthless. That's mark number three. Characteristic number three of people who put their faith into action. Fourth mark. Life is no longer all about me. It's about others. It's about serving. It's about your fellow man. Look at James 4, 1 and 2. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? You ever ask that question? What's causing this conflict with me and my spouse? Isn't it, he says, isn't it the whole army of evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it, so you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. Now, stop right there. What's he talking about? He's talking about a problem that is common to all of mankind. It's the problem of selfishness. Pride. You know, you, you want something, but you don't get it. Again, have you, have you ever wondered why there is so much conflict maybe in the world today? Why there's so much conflict in your marriage? Why, why is there so much conflict where you work? James says in verse 3, and even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. In other words, again, what he's saying, guys, is that life is all about you. You've made life all about you, your wants, your desires, selfishness. And the point James is making here is that whenever you make life about yourself, man, you're going to have conflict. Raise your hand this morning if you uh, text, right? you send text messages. Come on. Pretty much everybody, right? It's almost like a, a, a stupid question anymore. Pretty much that's common. Uh, everybody in this room probably texts. Well, there, there really is one thing that I still can't get used to in texting. No, seriously, no doubt. It's all the abbreviations. It really is. I know I'm just old, you know, I'm old school, and, but for me, it, it, it's like learning a whole new language. I really cannot tell you how many times I have to Google an abbreviation, or what I've learned is I just ask a teenager. You know, that's it. They, they know it all. They, they, they got it down. Now, some of them are obvious, right? LOL, what's LOL mean? Laugh out loud. IDK? I don't know. Now, okay, speaking of LOL, let's stop right there for a second. Uh, for some reason... My mom, Nancy, Nancy Rankin, many of you know my mom, uh, she was convinced that LOL stood for lots of love. Okay, lots of love. She, she did. And so she would literally put that at the end of all of her text, all of her emails, LOL, LOL. And so we had to constantly keep explaining to her, Mom, you cannot keep sending text and, and these emails and these messages to me, your grandkids, or other people with, with, you know, and then keep putting at the end of it, LOL. You know, you're basically saying, I love you, son. Ha! You know, 
Ha! You know, just joking. LOL. You know, she's convinced. So if you, I apologize on behalf of my mom if you get that. She, she does love you. Okay. But I'm getting pretty good at recognizing abbreviations. I did see one recently that I had never seen before. Okay. W-I-I-F-M. Anybody know that one? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I thought about that. Listen, you know, you want a surefire way to have conflict in every relationship you have. What's in it for me? Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I read this passage in every single marriage ceremony that I perform. And it's just the opposite of what's in it for me. It says this, don't be what? Selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't live just to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. Listen, if if a husband is living that way for his wife and a wife is living that way for her husband, that's gonna be a beautiful relationship. Each one of them trying to put the needs of the other person ahead of themselves. But the root, you see, the root of most conflict, and, and I know this for a fact, after you know, 29 years of, of counseling and meeting with people and couples and marrying people, listen, the, the most common root of conflict is simply good old-fashioned selfishness and pride. And so in chapter 4 we're going to we're going to dig into that a little bit. And then finally from chapter 5 another mark of people who have lost the religion and are putting their faith into action. It's simply that they're patient and prayerful. They're patient and prayerful. Now, I realize that you know, here we are today talking about putting your faith into action and we got these tents outside and things for you to actually to do that being patient and prayerful sounds very kind of counterintuitive. I mean, you know, honestly, it sounds very passive, right? It sounds anything but active. But I think what we're gonna discover is that James is teaching us that one of the fruits of our faith is that we are becoming a patient and prayerful people. In fact, it's interesting that he closes out this short little letter here in chapter five by using those words, or some form of those words, patient and prayerful, 11 times in chapter five alone. I kind of think that one of the reasons he does that is that he knows something. You know, when you really are loving people, all people, people that are different than you, and you're serving people, serving your community, reaching out, putting others ahead of yourself, when you are, man, when you're just persevering through a storm, enduring those difficult times, and it's hard, when you're, when you're trying to control your tongue, You're doing all those things, and you don't always see immediate results. I think what James is telling us is, it's hard. It, 
it requires patience and prayer. It requires this attitude of, man, i got to depend on God for this one. I mean, come on, let's admit it. Having a successful, healthy marriage, it requires patience and prayer. Parents, (laughs) raising children, right? Come on. What does it require? Large amounts of patience and prayer. And so to drive home his point, he uses the illustration of a farmer. James chapter 5, 7 and 8. Dear brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Now again, remember, these are people who are going through extreme persecution. You must be patient. Consider the farmers who eagerly look for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They patiently wait for the precious harvest to ripen. You too must be patient and take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. If, if there's anybody who has to have patience, it's a farmer. I mean, think about it. A farmer does a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of waiting. You know, he, uh, he clears and cultivates and, and plants and waters. And then what? Just wait. Waits and prays and hopes and expects. If you've done any gardening whatsoever, you know this. Now, if you've been at Coastal for any length of time, you know that Pastor Chris does not have a green thumb. I do not. I, don't, I mean, some of you, raise your hand if you, you find pleasure and joy from working outside, you know, in the yard, you know, planting. I mean, that's awesome. God bless you. You're a freak, but God bless you, you know. Um, I, I mean, I, you've, you've heard me say this before. I only work outside in the yard for two reasons, shame and guilt. That is it. I... Maybe that's why I kill everything. But, but, if, but if, you're, if you're gardening, if you're, you're into that, you really get this. You wait, right? I mean, there, there, there's no such thing as overnight crops. But wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, man, think, I would just, oh, man, overnight heirloom tomatoes. Man, that would be great. You know, overnight corn. Woo, man, that would just be so cool. But there's not, and you know this. And then James goes on to give a couple of other illustrations. He, he gives the example of, of the prophets of the Old Testament who would speak on behalf of God, and then they just had to patiently wait and endure. And then he, he uses the illustration of Job, who had to endure through years and, and years of suffering, even personally, but also you know, among his friends, and before, eventually, he... He saw the mercy of God. It's almost as though James is wanting to remind us before he closes out this letter, hey guys, let me, you need to hear this. Putting your faith into action, it's hard stuff. You know, many times you're going to be serving your community. You're going to be loving people, all people. You're going to be putting others ahead of yourself and You're not going to see immediate results. It's going to be hard. But we're not like everybody else, he says. You know, we we don't live for the here and now. We live in the light of eternity. We we live in the light of the long-term, you know, goal. So be patient and depend on God. So look back at these these five 
characteristics of faith, these five marks of our faith in action here on your outline. You know, as you look at this list, where, where could you improve? You know, we're, we're all in process, right? We're all becoming. No, no, no one here has arrived. We're, we're, we all can do better at this, but let me ask. You know, are you joyfully enduring the storms of life? Do you love people? All people. You learning to control your tongue? You learning to put others ahead of yourself? You know, with the people who live with you and work with you, would they describe you as a person of patience and prayer? Have you lost your religion today? I actually believe that in many ways, that's a good thing. But here's the most important question. Are you ready to have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? You see, wouldn't it be awesome if our city, wouldn't it be great if Charleston were known as the holy city, not because of the number of churches or the number of steeples across our horizon, but because of the number of people who love God and who put their faith in Him in action by loving people. James 4.8, it's not on your outline, but it's on the screen. It says this, Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Will you come to God today? Will you come home? Listen, he loves you. He cares about you. He loves you more than you know. He, of all people, knows what you're going through, what your story is, and he loves you. Listen, good deeds, serving people, all the things that you know, our church is really all about, that's the fruit of our salvation. But faith in Jesus, that's the root. In fact, the man who wrote this letter, James, he put his faith in the resurrected Christ, and it changed his life. You can do the same thing today. You're not here by accident. And you're not here just to, to serve and to make an impact in our community. And that, that's great, man. That's what the Coastal is all about. But I happen to believe that maybe, just maybe, God is drawing you to himself to begin a personal relationship with him through faith in Christ. And you could start that today Listen, it's not about you cleaning up your life. It's not about you trying to fix something first. God loves you just the way you are. And if you'll just take one step of faith toward him, he will run to you. He will make up all the, the distance. It says here, come near to God and he will come near to you. Your part is just that one step of faith. It's just believing in Christ 
putting your faith and your trust in him and what he accomplished for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. God said, listen, I know you're going to blow it. You have. You're a sinner. It's just a matter of you admitting that today and saying, God, I know it. I've messed up, but today I want to come home. I do believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to the cross for me. He paid for my sin, and I believe he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. And if you'll put your faith, your trust in Christ and Christ alone, God will adopt you into his forever family. And then the fruit of your faith is loving him and loving people. And we'd love for you to join us in that journey. Bow your heads with me today and let's begin that journey of faith. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, I thank you for our salvation. I thank you for our faith. I thank you for Jesus and what he did for us, your son. God, in your great, great love, while we were still sinners far apart from you, you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sin. And listen, if you're here today and something's been pulling at your heart, something has been drawing you near to God, then just take that next step of faith and just pray something like this. God, I want to come home. God, I do believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he went to that cross for me. As much as I know how and much as I understand, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And now, God, for the rest of my days, I want to live out that faith. I just want to become more and more like you see me now, forgiven, brand new. Thank you. And God, I pray for our church, that we would be a church that would not simply just say we believe, but our faith would be evidence. There would be evidence of our, of our faith in, our, in the way that we love people, the way that we are making an impact, where we live, work, and play, how we're loving our neighbor. And, and God, I just pray that our impact here in this community would just continue to grow to such a point that if the thought of us not being here, that if we were gone, that it would make such a huge void for someone else to fill. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this church. And may we continue to be the church, the, the hands and feet of Jesus that you have called us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.